Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Forget Big Brother. 1984 is the year of big changes for America's youth. From the new personal computer to the first cell phone to a pop culture revolution. It was kind of the preppy time swinging into new wave and it's like when Flock of Seagulls was out and Duran Duran. It's great to be part of the newly coined MTV generation. Young. It's a brand new year. I'm 16. And Footloose. Let's go! No place is that more true than across the bay from San Francisco. Orinda is a very affluent community. Orinda in the 80s, the more you had, the better. And if you're from Orinda, California, you've got it made. It's the kind of place where kids grow up feeling completely safe. A lot of stay-at-home moms, uh, while the dads went off to work in San Francisco at some sort of white-collar job. It was like there was no place else in the world. Like, we were the center of the universe. Aren't we all lucky to be here? No one's enjoying the teenage lifestyle in Arenda more than Kirsten Costas. She was 15 years old. She was pretty. She had a lot of friends. She was very athletic. She was on the varsity swim team. She played soccer. She played baseball. She was one of the kind of kids that everybody else in high school gravitates to. She was super cute. She had cute hair, cute clothes. She had kind of a naturally tan skin. She always looked like she'd been out in the sun. Kirsten's just ended her sophomore year at Miramonte High School on a high note. She was elected to become the cheerleader the following year. She was a very popular girl. Miramonte High School was a competitive place. These were kids who were the sons and daughters of very successful parents. They wanted to replicate their parents' successes. They worked hard in school. Kirsten is no different. Her dad, Arthur, was an executive with the 3M company in San Francisco. 
and her mother, Barrett, was a homemaker and she worked part-time at a local community center as well. And Kirsten was the, the perfect daughter. Kirsten's family enjoys all the privilege and prestige that comes of living in Orinda. Your whole identity was being wrapped around what club you belonged to and where you were in the social status. You remember that Madonna song, we are living in a material world and I am a material girl? That was a larger culture, right, that we were all trying to fit into. Kirsten is headed to the top of the material world of high school, along with some of her friends. There was this huge group of girls with flowing hair and cute outfits, and that group was the core, the most popular. The clique includes Kirsten's close confidant, Ashley Mayfield, fellow swim team member Lauren Shea. And even though she didn't make cheerleading this year, Bernadette Prati makes the popularity cut. I think Bernadette and Kirsten and a lot of those other girls grew up together. All blonde, all in proper uniform. It was Izod, and people flipped their collars and wore the little alligator and topsiders. It was important to look a certain way because if you didn't, people didn't accept you. Kirsten, Ashley, Lauren, Bernadette. They were who you wanted to impress. The cool kids ran the school. They could decide if you were liked or if you weren't liked. They could make you feel bad or they could make you feel good. One Valentine's Day, I bought a whole bunch of lollipops and gave them to some of the girls. And I remember very distinctly a young woman taking it, looking at me and going, whatever, and just throwing it in the trash can right in front of me. Like, I feel like I learned how to feel insecure about myself in high school. But to Kirsten and her friends, it all seems to come naturally. And in their sophomore year, they hit another milestone on the road to success with an invitation to join a highly selective club, the Bobolinks, better known as the Bobbies. The Bobolinks was almost like a high school sorority. It was very snobbish, very elite organization. They were picked because they tended to come from the most affluent families, you know, the, the stars of the school, the most popular kids. One boy said about the Bobbies, it's a socialite group. If you don't fit the socialite model, you're not asked to join. The majority of the girls are pretty stuck up. The Bobbies raise money for charity, but it's the members' wealth that makes them stand out. It was whatever car you drove, how you dressed, how much money your dad made. Everything was pretty materialistic. When you belong to the Bobbies, you are part of the in crowd. Before the end of the school year, the Bobbies initiate their latest recruits, including Kirsten and her friends Lauren Shea and Bernadette Prati. All these girls were recruited, I guess, as sophomores, and they would start in their junior year. That invitation is just step one. Now the recruits are put to the real test. They had some kind of unusual um, initiation rites. The kids were asked to rub uh, mayonnaise or eggs into their hair and put on their mother's oldest, ugliest clothes and then go out you know, to the closest stoplight and, and try to sell kisses for a dime. If Kirsten and her friends pass the test, they'll be bobbies. And come September, they'll rule the school. But for the new Bobolinks, the activities begin almost two weeks in a summer vacation, when calls go out for a surprise event. Kirsten's mother got a call inviting her to a 
dinner for the initiation of the bobolinks. And apparently similar calls were made to several other girls who had been invited to the bobbies. Kirsten's mom, Barrett Costas, takes it all down. Someone will pick Kirsten up on Saturday. It will be a day the Costas family never forgets. It's a quiet summer evening on Orchard Street in Orinda. Arthur Hillman is relaxing at home. Here, the aerial cries of winged beauty cut across the plain. Cries announcing the migration to their ancestral breeding grounds. Until he hears something bone-chilling. He looks out to see a horrifying sight. It's his neighbor, Kirsten Costas. Arthur came out and saw this girl who he knew very badly injured and tried to assist her. She has multiple stab wounds. He can't stop the bleeding. Arthur Hillman is holding on to her. She's seriously injured. He sees a Volvo pull away. Could that be her assailant? Kirsten is too far gone to answer. Kirsten, who was bleeding profusely, she couldn't speak. She was dying. Kirsten Costas could be heard screaming for help on a driveway across from her Orinda home. When the news spread that those screams came just before her death, friends and neighbors were shocked. Who would brutally stab this young girl in the spring of her life? Was this a random act or something more sinister? The answer will tear apart the town of Orinda. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? 
I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. The wealthy enclave of Orinda, California in 1984 is isolated from crime and violence. Until now. Somebody had snuffed out the life of this beautiful young girl. Steps away from her home, 15-year-old Kirsten Costas has been savagely stabbed on her neighbor's front lawn. As Arthur Hillman held the dying girl, his son called 911. 911, what's your emergency? A uh, uh, girl, my neighbor. She's, she's bleeding. Please hurry. Kirsten's parents come home to police lights and sirens. They're with Kirsten in the hospital when she dies. The Costas were in a complete shock. It was just tragic for them beyond mention. I can't even imagine the feeling you say they went through. Law enforcement swarms a crime scene, gathering evidence and searching for a murder weapon. As a sheriff, I was notified and assigned our homicide investigators to work on it immediately. They start interviewing the witnesses in depth and trying to get as much information as quickly as they possibly can. Arthur Hillman is a neighbor who found Kirsten bloody and screaming for help. He didn't see the assailant, but he spotted a car leaving the scene. He is going to be the most important witness at that particular time. Obviously, they're going to ask him exactly what he saw a good description of the car, see if they got a license plate number on the car. That's when Arthur Hillman sees it. The same car pulling up. We have a suspicious vehicle that's arrived at the scene. Police want to talk to the driver. He introduces himself as Alex Arnold. Alex Arnold uh, was a gentleman who lived in Moraga, which is a, an adjacent community to Orinda. I'm sure it crossed a number of people's mind. Was this guy involved? Police question Arnold, and he's got an incredible story to tell. He was home on that particular Saturday night, and he heard a knock on his door. He opened the door. He was looking at this girl who looked very upset, very scared. He said, do you need any help? And she said, yeah. It's Kirsten Costas. She tells Arnold she'd been out with a friend, but now she just wants to get away from her. Kirsten said that her friend had gotten weird, and she asked to use the phone, tried to call her parents. 
When they don't answer, Arnold says he offered to drive Kirsten to Orinda in his Volvo. She said, I need a ride home, and he agreed to do that. But Arnold tells police something was off. He said that as he backed out of his driveway, he noticed a battered Ford Pinto. And it started following them. Arnold tells the police he asked Kirsten who it was. She told him not to worry about it. The Pinto tailed them all the way to Orinda. When Arnold pulled up to Kirsten's house, her parents still weren't home. So Kirsten walked up to the neighbor's house and was going to ask them to take her in. That's when Arnold saw the driver of the Pinto run towards Kirsten. He described a teenage girl. She approached Kirsten, and Kirsten started yelling at her to go away. You're weird. And that's when she went up to her, then began stabbing her. And then girl got in her Ford and drove somewhere. Arnold tells the police the reason he left so quickly was to pursue the attacker. It was like a scene out of a horror movie. Tried to follow her for a while, but apparently lost her. So he decided that he needed to go back and try to assist Kirsten. It's a fantastic tale. Police are skeptical. One of the first things that the homicide investigators would look at is, is this a witness or is this a suspect? That was key. It's going to be a long night for the investigators. At 2 a.m., they interview her grief-stricken parents. Her mother said she'd got a call inviting Kirsten to a dinner for the initiation of the Bobolinks. But it's real important that she doesn't tell anybody. It's a big surprise. But when investigators call other members of the Bobbies, they get a shock. There was no dinner for the Bobbies that night. The call was a phony. The cops believe that whoever made that call set Kirsten up. The call inviting Kirsten to the initiation dinner uh, came from a female. Could I leave a message? And she knew enough about Kirsten to use the Bobbies as a lure. The Bobbies are having... Police need to find whoever made that call. In the days before computerized switchboards, tracing it is not an option. Meanwhile, they've cleared Alex Arnold. There was a bunch of friends at his house. Uh, he was playing bridge or some sort of card game that night. So he had people there who could corroborate his story. Now he's investigators' only eyewitness. You gave a description of the suspect, a chunky girl with stringy blonde hair, driving a beat-up yellow or mustard-colored pinto. A blonde girl in a California town that doesn't narrow their list of suspects by much or answer their primary question. Who picked her up that night? Kirsten and her friend. Where did they go? What did they do that night? Our homicide investigators immediately start talking to as many people as they possibly could. Police have one solid lead, the Ford Pinto. He saw the description of the car, but didn't have a license plate. 
uh, they have to call or visit every vehicle on the list so that they can check them off and say, yes, that is a possibility, or no, it isn't. They'd found out there were like 500 of them or something in the area. It was crazy. Orinda woke up to tragedy today. The morning after the murder, the news breaks. Kirsten Costas could be heard screaming for help on a driveway across from her Orinda home. When the news spread that those screams came just before her death, friends and neighbors were shocked. And it just doesn't seem like it would happen to us. It seems like it happened to somebody else. Journalist Jack Cheevers covered the case for the Oakland Tribune. It was a sensational crime in a place where those kind of crimes just never happen. The people in Orinda are terrified. There's a killer loose out there. In the Orinda community, they know one thing. It couldn't be one of them. Principal Bran Yeich says it's unlikely the clean-cut girl had any double life that would get her in trouble. Was seen with those kids in school who were generally thought of as being the top kids in school. The person who had done it must have been someone outside the school. But investigators are looking closer to home. Police interviewed about 100 girls at Miramonte. They start with the girls believed to be in her inner circle. One by one, they ask about their whereabouts during the murder and look for any motive. Bernadette didn't make cheerleading. Was she jealous? Ashley and Kirsten would crank call less popular kids. Did something happen? Did Lauren and Kirsten fight about swim team? Lauren says no. But another Bobby has her own theory. Karen Boris actually said that Kirsten had been attacked because she symbolized the entire community and all the things it stood for. Could a classmate alienated by the popular girls be behind this? I absolutely think that there was jealousy around the Bobbies. I mean, why wouldn't there be? High school is a breeding ground for insecurity. One week later, police have few leads. It takes so much time and so much work. They're looking for anything that they might have missed the first time. They developed a number of quote-unquote suspects, many of which they polygraphed. None of the leads pan out. But as the police dig deeper, some girls present a different picture of the popular cheerleader. She was just very outspoken, and she kind of told it like it was in her own way. I can remember her just being, like, denigrating, very dismissive. She could be mean, definitely. I think she could be condescending. You know, it was always talking behind your back, talking about you when you're walking in the hall. It was always in a look. But those looks are killers. Maybe someone didn't have it out for all the Bobbies. Maybe it was just Kirsten. Her classmates start to think someone hated her enough to kill her. Someone they know. Somebody that wouldn't be popular. Who were the kids in school that nobody likes? They'd zeroed on these girls and decided one of them was the killer. One name keeps coming up. She had her hair white and black. It was short, kind of punk, and she wore black a lot. Nancy Kane. 
I had made it clear that I didn't like Kirsten. I don't like any of your friends. I don't like what you stand for. I was angry at what she represented. I didn't want to be the same as everybody else. To me, it became very boring. I dressed a lot differently than everybody else. I colored my hair, I wore a lot of black. I had a lot of eye makeup. I definitely did not wear the jeans and button-down shirt and topsiders. I smoked a lot of pot, drank a lot of booze. I was a rebellious teenager that was looking for trouble. It hadn't always been that way. Freshman year, I was actually, you know, a big part of that popular crowd. I met Kirsten in middle school. We went to dances, we did sports together. Bernadette and I attended the same Catholic church, so we had CCD together. Every Tuesday night, you learn about being a Catholic. We all kind of hung out with each other and not anybody else. It wasn't until high school that our relationship changed. By the time sophomore year begins, Nancy's sick to death of the core group. I started to complain about them and talk about how lame they were. Like, why would you want to be that way? One person symbolizes everything that Nancy now rejects, Kirsten Costas. I remember looking at her curly hair and being angry at her, just being angry at what she represented. And I wrote in my notebook, I want to see her blood drip. Drip, drip, drip. Police have picked up on the community chatter. Nancy, mind if we ask you a few questions? Police asked me what I did that particular night. I told them I went to see Ghostbusters. They asked my parents if I could take a lie detector, and my parents said no. There's no reason for me to. If they refuse to take a lie detector test, you always wonder why. The investigators felt she was a key suspect. They're convinced Nancy Kane is hiding something. Enjoy your day. And she is. I lied to the police. I wasn't at a movie. While rumors about Nancy swirl, Kirsten's bereaved parents, Art and Barrett, can't shake a nagging suspicion that the lack of progress, along with rumors, mean one thing. Girls at school like Nancy Kane know more than they're letting on. A few days before school starts in September, they hold a press conference. Today, Art and Barrett Costas talk to the press for the first time since their daughter Kirsten was murdered. Their decision to be interviewed based partly on frustration. It's time that we got an answer as to why this person or persons needed to do this to Kirsten. Art Costas says his decision is based on fear because there's a killer still loose. The killer or, or people who were involved in this whole scheme could very well be uh, enrolling in class. He mentions no names, but some in town believe they know who he's talking about. All eyes are on Nancy Kane now. For her classmates, all the proof they need comes on September 4th, 1984, the first day of school. Nancy isn't there. Yeah, it was obvious. She must be guilty. 
What the community doesn't know is that the police have already gotten a confession from Nancy Kane. But it's not about the murder. I went back to the police and said, wait a minute, I didn't tell you the truth. It wasn't at a movie. Nancy lied so her parents wouldn't find out where she was that night. I had been with my current boyfriend at his house, and we were just hanging out. Police are stunned by her twisted teenage logic. But sure enough, her story checks out. Nancy is cleared. The only thing I was ever guilty of was being different. The investigation has hit another wall. At this point, they had sorted through about 1,000 leads. They interviewed about 300 witnesses. Nothing really panned out. Sheriff Rainey has no choice but to reach out for help. From the FBI, Bob Gast is assigned to tackle the case. I was special agent in charge of the San Francisco office of the FBI. Sheriff Rainey called me and said, uh, can you give us a hand on this thing? I said, sure, we'll do what we can. Agent Gast has an idea. A crime-solving method that's just gaining traction in the 1980s. I decided to ask our crime unit at Quantico to do a criminal profile of the case. That was a fairly new phenomenon in the early 80s, this, this concept of psychological profiling. The FBI developed the profiles by having their agents actually go into prisons and interview uh, convicted killers about their childhood, their personality. The weapon used is always very important because use of a knife indicates a great deal of anger. And it's quite a bit different from a psychological standpoint than shooting somebody. So that tells them something. The report takes three months. When it arrives, it appears to point the homicide team right to the killer. It was about 14 pages long. It was very detailed. And they analyzed all the information and tried to match it against various criminal profiles that they had in their database of convicted killers. They said that the perpetrator wouldn't come from a family with six children, a Catholic family. And the crime had probably been committed by a friend of the victim. Investigators turned back to their list of Kirsten's friends, checking one girl after another against the FBI description. One name matches. They all said, this is Bernadette Prouty. Bernadette Prouty is a typical high school kid. She's 15 years old. She comes from a large family, upper middle class home. They, their house is near the Orinda Country Club. Her dad is an engineer. Both of her parents were religious. To Orinda, the FBI's interest in Prouty makes no sense. I know that Bernadette would never do that. Bernadette and Kirsten were friends. They both went to the same school, they were the same age, so they were in the same class. They were both being recruited into the Bobbies. Bernadette fit in. She was smart and kind, mild-mannered, and non-threatening. She went to the funeral and went back to Marimani and stayed in the Bobbies and mourned along with all the other kids that were mourning. The police have their own doubts. Bernadette has been the model of cooperation with investigators. 
She never showed any emotion. She was cool and collected. And she has a solid alibi. At the time of the murder, she was babysitting. She even passed a lie detector test. The investigators felt in talking to her that this is a young woman who's straightforward about her answers to the questions. She came across as truthful. They dismissed her as a suspect. But there's no denying the FBI profile points to her. The police have to take a closer look. And when they visit the Prati home, they find a surprise in the garage. The family had a car that matched the description. A yellow Pinto. But there's a hitch. The fact of the matter was, she never drove the Pinto. I don't think she had a driver's license. Based on Bernadette's cooperation and her polygraph results, the investigators hadn't yet bothered to confirm her alibi. But now they check and get a shock. The family she claimed to be babysitting for hadn't actually used her services for a year. They called her in for a fifth interview, and there was an FBI agent there who apparently was the lead interviewer, and he grilled her and grilled her and grilled her. Bernadette may have lied about her alibi, but the police don't have any physical evidence tying her to the murder, and they have no motive. To prove she did it, they'll need a confession. This was a horrible, bloody crime, and they thought the kid would break down and, and cry and show some kind of emotional reaction. She was cool and collected. Then she's shown the FBI profile. Take a look inside. He said, uh, yeah, this profile really fits you. And she said, well, do you think I did it? And he said, yeah, I think, I think you did. Bernadette denies it. Sounds like me, but... They grilled her and grilled her and grilled her, and she maintained her innocence. No. No. There were no admissions. They had sort of come to a dead end. But a couple days later, Bernadette wrote a letter to her parents. And she told her mom, you know, I, I just wrote you a letter. I want you to read it for 30 minutes. And then she left the house. And her mom set a timer and read it exactly 30 minutes later and was horrified. It says, the FBI man thinks I did it. And he is right. Her parents immediately drove her to the sheriff's department in Martinez. And she finally did confess. And she finally showed some emotion. She finally broke down and cried at that point. Bernadette Prati is charged with first degree murder. The wait is now over for the parents of this girl. Today, Art and Barrett Costas said they were relieved. The sheriff's department had finally arrested someone for the murder of their 15-year-old daughter. It feels like a thousand pounds of uh, frustrations have, have been eliminated from us. Orinda and the high school Bobolinks Club are still struggling to understand. When we found out it was ruined it, there was just a lot of shock. There was a lot of shock. Bernadette was just a regular student in school, and there was nothing in her behavior that would have led anybody during those six months to think that she might have done it. Three months later, the trial begins. Many felt it had classic story material. Murder and justice with adolescent 
passions and feelings and pressures. Uh, and it deals with the community, how a community responded. Now that community will confront the unthinkable question, whether one of their own could be guilty of murder and why. In an overflowing Contra Costa County courtroom, the parents of Kirsten Costas are forced to listen again to the details of their daughter's death. Bernadette admitted to police she's the one who lured Kirsten out of the house with that phone call. The fake invitation to a dinner for the Bobbies. Yeah, but it's real important that she doesn't tell anybody. It's a big surprise. On the night of the murder, Bernadette Prati picked up Kirsten at her house and uh, they drove one town over from Orinda and they sat there talking. The details of that conversation emerged from the shocking confession Bernadette made to police. Because she's a minor, the recordings are barred from the media, but reporter Jack Cheevers transcribed them. When her tape was played in the courtroom, there was a, a hush that fell over the people there. I had a lot of inferiority feelings and really bad feelings about myself. Bernadette was part of the popular clique, but she didn't see it and her self-esteem was riding on Kirsten's approval. I just thought, you know, it would be okay if we were friends. I lost for cheerleader and I didn't get on the yearbook staff. All that stuff, she just seemed to sort of represent it, like losing at things or looks or money or popularity or things that are stupid. Bernadette says soon after she picked Kirsten up, they got into an argument. Kirsten jumped out of the car and said, you're really weird. I'm out of here. That's when Kirsten knocked on Alex Arnold's door to ask for help. When Kirsten got that ride home with him, Bernadette panicked and followed. I was afraid she was going to tell everybody I was really weird. But I thought, oh my god, everything's gone wrong. She's going to tell everybody. Bernadette desperately needed to head Kirsten off and she came prepared for a confrontation. Bernadette had taken a knife with her, a 12-inch kitchen knife. But she insists there was no premeditation. During the trial, one of her sisters testified that she might have left it in the car. She traveled quite a bit on her job, and she said that she'd used this 12-inch kitchen knife to peel fruits and vegetables for her lunch while she was on the road. I just got out of the car and she started telling me to go away. And I just got angry and I did it. I didn't know what I was doing, really. And I ran and I got in the car and I just threw the knife in the back and I just drive away and I went home as fast as I could. I remember that her entire family was crying. Her parents, her three sisters, her brother, and her, all of them were in tears. Nobody else from Arinda in the courtroom was showing any kind of emotion like that. Clearly, there was a lot of anger and resentment and hostility toward her in that courtroom that day. After three days of testimony, the judge finds Bernadette Prati guilty of second-degree murder. So she was 16 at the time. The maximum sentence was nine years. She actually served just a little more than seven years. In 1994, 10 years after Kirsten's murder, 
Her story became the basis of a made-for-TV movie called Death of a Cheerleader. I look back now and I just think, what? How did that all happen? You know, where, where, it's crazy. One girl died, one girl went to jail for seven years. In the 1980s, in a town like Orinda, teenagers would give anything to fit in. Kirsten Costas gave her life. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.